Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. I tell you, every time that Mia reads, I feel like I don't need to preach afterwards, right? Like, like, amen. Word of the Lord. I'm just going to go sit down. But we do have work to do together today in the scripture. We are in the season of Lent. We're in the fifth Sunday of Lent. The uh, Easter is coming. We can see the light ahead of us, uh, but we still, we still are in these last few very formative weeks of Lent. As we said last week, persevere through this time. Um, this, is, this is as we are being worn down from some of our, the illusion that we have um, that we have sufficiency in our own strength. As we start to see more of our weakness come out in this weeks of Lent, this is where the Lord is able to do significant work in our hearts. So persevere. Um, uh, stay, stay with Him in this as we approach Easter time. And of course, we have over the last few weeks together been engaged in a sermon series where we have been exploring the words of Christ as He hung on the cross. Traditionally called the seven last words of Christ, phrases that he uttered while he was dying and breathing his last breath. So we're going to be in John chapter 19 for the next two weeks. John chapter 19, starting at verse 28, says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. This is the fifth of the words that he spoke. It is the shortest of the phrases from Jesus on the cross. It is translated to English in two words, I thirst. In the Aramaic that Jesus spoke, it would have been one word. I thirst, he says. Clearly, Jesus would have been thirsty. He spent the last 12 plus hours being arrested, whipped, beaten, carrying a 90-pound chunk of wood on his back up a hill, falling multiple times, being nailed to a cross. His severe thirst would have been caused primarily by exsanguination, bleeding out, but also contributed to by his sweat and his tears. I thirst, Jesus says. Water or hydration is a basic need for survival. One that we in the West, in our country, oftentimes take for granted. If you get thirsty here, you can go right through that door. There is a water fountain right there in the back where you can get something to drink. We take long, hot showers in the wintertime. There's, there's pools of this stuff that we can just swim around in together in the summer. But when you can't get water when you don't have access to water, which is true for many places in the world. You can talk to our, uh, our fellow's director, J.D. Meter, who worked for a long time with Water Mission about the statistics on that and why the church is involved in trying to provide clean water to people. When you can't get water, it's awful. If you've ever sat with someone who's recovering from surgery or even preparing to go into surgery and they're told you can't eat anything, you can't drink anything, they're sitting there in the pain from recovering from surgery. They're, the drugs are wearing off, and I just want, just want water. I just want water. And the nurse has to go, I know, honey. Like, I know, but not yet. You can have some ice chips that you can suck up. That's about it. There's, it is an awful, 
excruciating feeling to not be able to get water. And here on the cross is the God who created water. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created the water. He separated the waters and made made, uh, the earth and the sky. He separated the water again to bring land. He, somewhere in his storehouse of creativity, he pulled out a a giant O and stuck two H's to it, and uh, and, and we got water. He he created our bodies, and we're 60% water. He flooded the earth with it when, uh, in the time of Noah. He parted it when Moses and the Israelites needed to cross the Red Sea. He walked on it in front of his disciples. He was baptized in it in the River Jordan. As sheets of rain fell from the sky in the storm, he stood up and he calmed it. He is the creator and the ruler of all water. And here he is on the cross, needing it and not having it. I thirst. In this short phrase, we see the momentous coming together of the mystery and the beauty of the incarnation when God put on flesh, put on a fleshly body to become one of us, and also the purpose of the incarnation in which that fleshly body would die for our sin. I thirst, he says. He took on flesh which needs water and lowered himself to the point that even his incarnate body did not have what it needed to properly function. We can never understand all that Jesus gave up. The completeness of the sacrifice of Jesus is beyond our comprehension. He who spoke water into existence now speaks the words, I thirst. And as we have seen in all of the other statements of Jesus on the cross that we've looked at together over the last few weeks, there's something even deeper going on than what what we can see at first glance of the words. There's something happening always that brings, that we can plunge the depth of the meaning of what Jesus is saying. And so when we read verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, which we'll talk about much more next week, he said, and then there's this parenthetical phrase, to fulfill the Scripture. He said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. So we talked last week about, uh, we talked at length about how this Jesus being on the cross is not an accident, it's not something that, that was unexpected, something that he had to adapt to, but rather the plan of God for our redemption, and that Jesus willingly and obediently gave his life. He even said flat out, no one takes my life from me, but I give it freely in obedience to the plan of God to redeem the world. And so we return again to Psalm 22 that we looked at last week. In verse 14 and 15, it says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a broken piece of, of a clay pot, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This psalm, looking forward to anticipating the death of Jesus Christ, is describing exactly what he is going through and showing that what he is a part of is not being done to him, but is being fulfilled by him. 
We see also in Psalm 69, which is a, a messianic psalm, so a, a psalm that's looking ahead towards what the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God is going to bring. And it says in Psalm 69, verse 21, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And so we see here again in our chapter, John 19 and verse 29, it says this, when Jesus said, I thirst, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Sour wine was a common wine uh, used by poor people. It's sort of a bathtub gin, like a, like a home brew that's not very good, not good quality. It'll get you drunk if that's what you're after. That's probably what the Roman soldiers were after. Um, they had a lot of time to kill that day um, because they were there at the execution of this criminal. They didn't care who he was. So we're going to gamble. We're going to roll dice. We're going we're gonna to have a jug of wine here with us as well. Some say that, that dipping a sponge in this and giving it to Jesus was, was, a, was an act of kindness on behalf of one of the soldiers, perhaps trying to help to soothe him in the midst of his agony. But the context just doesn't seem to support that interpretation. In fact, the Gospel of Mark expands this, the description of what happens here a little bit further in Mark 15. And the context that he gives says this, Jesus said, I thirst... And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. So it's a reference to an Old Testament prophecy that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And so this says that the reason they gave him wine is to try to keep him alive just a little longer to see if anything's going to happen. The reason they gave him wine, this sip of wetness and moisture on his lips, was to try to keep him alive a little bit longer so he could suffer a little bit more. But it gets worse than this, friends. Mark says that after he cried out, I thirst, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. Where, if you're in ancient Jerusalem, do you just run off and get a sponge? There's not a Walmart. Like, you don't just go and buy some Scotch-Brite pads and come out. Like, where do you go to just run and go get a sponge? The Romans had common latrines that were simply benches that had holes in them that people would sit next to each other to use the bathroom. In those common toilets, there was a thing called a xylospongium it was a sea sponge on the end of a stick. And that's what people would use to clean themselves after they defecated. It was then rinsed off in a bucket of salt water so the next person could use it when they come to the public latrine. If you're in ancient Jerusalem and there's a criminal on a cross who calls for something to drink and you just sponge, you go to the public toilet. What they, the sponge they used to pour this sour wine, and sour wine on and lift up to the lips of Jesus was the sponge that people had used to clean themselves after they had used the bathroom. Friends, when we say Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he paid our penalty with pain and with the depths of shame and humiliation. He endured what we cannot imagine anyone enduring as the creator of the universe itself 
and he died in the way that he died, he drank the poison of death so that you would no longer have to. There is no sin that you have committed, no shame that you hold that is greater than what Jesus bore for you. There is no humiliation more complete than that which Jesus endured, and he took it upon himself so that he could remove it from you. He thirsted so that you would no longer have to thirst. Perhaps as he hung on this cross and he longed for water, maybe his mind or the mind of John who was at the foot of the cross, maybe it drifted back to a hot, scorching afternoon a couple of years before where Jesus was standing at a well And a woman came to fill her jar. A woman who is from the Samaritans, despised people by the Jews. And she came alone in the afternoon risking her own safety and in the uncomfortable time of day in the heat because she was even scorned by her own people because we find out later on in the story that she is sexually impure. And she comes to this well and Jesus says to her, as recorded in John chapter 4, Give me a drink. And she says to him, how, would you, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, uh, to give you something to drink? Because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She's confused and she says, you don't even have a bucket. Like, how are you going to get the water out of this well? And he said to her, everyone who drinks water out of this well is going to be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you Streams of living water. Jesus on the cross says, I thirst. The promise that is implied in his words here, as we understand them through John chapter 4 as well, is that by calling upon him, to give him our thirst, to tell him that we long for what he delivers, the water that he gives, his grace, his joy, his peace, his truth, his confidence, his forgiveness. It's all on a trajectory welling up to eternal life, that the promise of his redemption of the world is coming that gives us a hope that can never spoil or perish or fade. That there's He gives water that no war or pestilence or famine or darkness and sword could ever bring about thirst in our lives again because we have the life that can never be quenched in Jesus Christ. What he's talking about here is greater than just the chemical compound of hydrogen and oxygen, but streams of living water that transform our lives, that save us from death itself. I thirst, he says, not only for water, but for you. 
Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God, that as Jesus cried out with His dry mouth and His tongue sticking to the roof of His mouth and His cracked lips, and He cries out, I thirst, so should our souls be the same, saying, I need You, Lord. I need the streams of living water that You bring. And again, we hear the words of Jesus echo from Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I thirst, he says, so that you do not have to. Do we thirst for the righteousness of God with the thirst that Jesus endured on the cross, where the pouring out of his very lifeblood slakes the calls of our heart and the thirst of our soul? When we come to Jesus through repentance and belief, then we are brought into the Christian community through baptism, submerged in a cleansing pool of water, refreshed, renewed, clean. He thirsted so that we don't have to. In our baptismal liturgy, we tell the story of God working through water in the Scripture. We say these words, We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt and into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John in the river Jordan when the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we are made regenerate by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into his fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the water of rebirth from the Lord of the water who thirsted so that you don't have to. And then as we enter into the life of the Christian and we live together in community, we remember that our community is built by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, there are actions that I want you to live out together to remember what it is that causes you to be the church, to remember the hope that you have in your heart, to remember the gospel that gives you life. And one of these actions that he's called us to is a cup. After supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks to God, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this. Drink. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me, for in this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so now, as Christians, remembering the gospel that has saved us, we drink. I thirst, he says, so that you don't have to. But his sacrifice is not for us only, not so that we simply have moist lips, not simply so that our mouth is not dry, but we should be moved by compassion for this Jesus who would die in this way for us. 
It should break our hearts to picture him on the cross, even barely being able to croak out words because his mouth is so dry, because he's lost so much blood. We should look on him in horror and say, can someone please give him a cup of water? Someone, if I was there, can I, can I at least drip water onto his lips? How can we soothe this Jesus who has died for us? And again, we hear the words of Jesus call out from Matthew 25. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will say to the king, king saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it also for me. The giving, loving, sending God that is Jesus Christ. When we say, Jesus, how can we soothe the lips that are cracked in my stead? He says, Give water to the thirsty. Serve those who are in need. Reach out to those who are lost and broken and afraid and bring them the refreshing news of my gospel. That is how we quench the thirst of Jesus on the cross. That is how we comfort him is in his name to reach out to those who are thirsty to bring them the waters of life. as we long to simply put a drop of water on the parched lips of Jesus, we drip it on the poor. We drip it on the broken. We drip it on the lost. We drip it on the weak. We drip it on the mourning. This is how we respond to his sacrificial service as service of our own, to the world, our neighbors, our families, our community. To know his heart is to know sacrificial love. He removed our thirst so that we can quench the parched mouth of others. I thirst, Jesus calls from the cross. He thirsts for you. In your sin, in your shame, in your stress, in your anxiety, in your worry, in your pain, in your fear, drink deeply of the waters of Jesus Christ. Pray his words back to him. Lord, I thirst, and he is your balm, your peaceful river, your cool glass of water, your cleansing rain. It is he who in the midst of our trials say, your trials will not end the same as mine, for I have won victory over death. Drink deeply. When we cry out in our thirst, He is there to tend to us. When we cry out for more than just a bottle of water, but something that can bring life to the dead parts of our lives, He comes with His living water. I thirst, we cry out. Here's the cup, Jesus replies. So friends, Call out to him and drink deeply of his life. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, all who are broken, all who weep, sinners, saints, come to the fountain 
and be refreshed. Pray with me. Lord, we thirst. Ours is a parched land surrounded by suffering and brokenness and anger of worry and anxiety and sin. We live in a world that celebrates things that are not of you and we engage in that celebration ourselves. We've broken others and others have broken us. We have sinned against you. We are so wrapped up in our own desires and our own longings and the lusts of our own hearts that we ignore the pleas of others, that we ignore the honor and glory of your name, and it's left us thirsty. And you are a God who, not, who doesn't look from a distance with judgment, but knows the thirsts of our hearts. You are the God who provides the water that we need. I thirst, you called from the cross. We thirst, we reply. And although we were not there and no one came to your aid with true water, you, the God of all mercy and grace, kneel beside us and pour your living water into our heart and soul. Let us receive well. Let us confess our sins. Let us repent and believe. Let us be baptized. Let us then drink of the cup of your family at communion. Remembering as we drink that you thirsted so that we no longer have to. Thank you for thirsting for us, Lord. May we drink deep, deeply of your draft. Amen.